Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Buddy, Wednesday afternoon. Wednesday afternoon. But for special reasons, me and you are getting ready to head on vacation in a few Deuces. days. <laughs> Deuces. So, folks, heading out. You're you're heading to to South Boston for a little bit. Yes, I'm sir. heading. I'm heading to uh, the mountains of North Carolina, Lake Lure. Some some well deserved time off for your boys here. Kick back, relax, have a few drinks, see some family. You know, you know. But we were sitting here, and it's like. But we got. We need to hit one before we go. Got to hit at least one episode, right? Yeah, got got, got to give you guys a little taste of taste of something before we head away. Otherwise, it'll be a month without an episode, and that's just not like us. That ain't like us at all. Not us at all. Y'all know us. We try to pull one every out of every couple weeks during the off season to keep you updated. Um, and what you're looking primarily on the back half of the the episode today is back in the. Late winter, early spring, we had three very special guests on. Evan Watkins from 247, Hokie legend Dwight Vick, and marketing connoisseur. Yeah, and I'm calling her a connoisseur because that's what she is, Christina Garnett. And me and Brian went back and listened to those, and there were some really great things coming out, especially what's happened in the transpiring months. So in just a few minutes, we're going to pull out a few clips for you guys to listen to and kind of think about this was five months ago and three months ago, and sort of what's changed with the Hokies. But before we jump into that, the Hokie recruiting, Brian, has been on a tear the last five weeks. We're getting some guys in the boat. We're getting some guys in the boat real quick. Um, but the boat went from mostly empty to darn near full in a matter of five weeks. Heck yeah, like ten guys in five weeks absolutely rolling you know i think we are now officially up to 17 commits which is wild and we're not gonna hit them all no disrespect um you know to guys you know like bryce dukes and jackson lahue johnny garnett um matt hoffman all those guys are good players daquan right in their own right but if we did that we wouldn't be able to do the other episode and trust us in Tucker Holloway, missed him as well. The speech are from down in North Carolina, but we wanted to hit kind of five guys real quick that to, to us have made the biggest splash. And we're going to start with the highest rated current recruit, Xavier Simmons, getting the three, three, six connection back going the six, three, two thirty five athlete, the four-star top 200 player. Brian, what do you think of this guy? So I'll say two things here. The big thing is, you know, he's the first real four-star that has been four-star when he committed to us in a while. That's that's big. We'll we'll talk about that. Um, Second thing, where he's coming from. So we're talking 336, Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, This is also the – the footprint of the apparently uh, recruiting aficionado Mac Brown, and yet here we are uh, going down there, grabbing a guy from Carolina. Uh, you know, pulling the fence back down a little bit here. Um, so I like to see that um, this kid is already the size you like to see in a linebacker: six three, two thirty five, um, good athlete. Good tackler. I, I, I like this a lot, not just the fact that it's 
a high, highly rated guy, a, a highly rated guy in a recent rivals uh, backyard, um, but also the fact that he can play some damn good football. Absolutely. Um, he is a top 10 player in the state of North Carolina, so that's really big. Um, the other pieces, you know, you look at very good commitment list, and I think having the, already the size ready to potentially play, regardless what happens this upcoming season, you know, this is a guy you want on your team. All right. Now, the next guy, Brian, I don't think anybody knew. Anybody knew this guy before a few weeks ago. And I'll be the first to admit, I was, <laughs> I was a little bit upset. And when they pulled the offer and I see this kid commit, and then you looked at his tape and it's like, that's different. This kid isn't some unranked, unknown guy. He just didn't get a junior day. Malcolm Jones out of Leesburg, Georgia, the safety 6'1", 285. When Brian looked at his tape, I think you said 86, which we were like, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty good. 247 went a step further. Put him in an 88. So high, high three-star. What are we getting from this guy, Brian? Because it seems like he was on board quick. Yeah, I mean, I think this is um... – and we're going to play a clip a little bit that Evan's going to talk about this. Um, what's what's going on a lot in this cycle is that a lot of these guys are under recruited uh, because of the everything going on with COVID, not getting junior camps, not getting um, junior tape, or getting junior tape late, or not playing as many games as they're used to. Um, there's a whole lot of factors at play here, so there's going to be a handful of. I mean, we can call them diamonds in the rough, but th- that this is more of a because of the circumstances, just flat out under recruited in the time frame where most of these guys start getting on programs' radar. Um, but when we back, you know, you talked about being a little upset when we backed off of Sherrod Koval once Clemson jumped in there, um, and then you know this guy got in the boat shortly thereafter. That I think that is what you saw. All right, so we 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 got. We backed off a guy that we could still potentially have at least made a run up until he committed and maybe even after for a guy that's unranked. And then all of a sudden you see his ranking pop up there. And you're like, oh, okay, maybe just not enough publications have, have given this guy a fair look um, you know, b- b- before and now they finally have since he got a uh, an offer from Tech and then got um, you know, went ahead and committed. So I like him. I mean, I think he's going to be you – know, he may not be an immediate contributor, but – um, definitely was a good pivot if we decided we weren't going to pursue Sherrod Koval any further. Absolutely. Still hated them pivoting off Koval because I think having an in-state guy like that, it's giving you attention. They should not have pivoted off of him. I think that was a bad move. Um, but obviously, you know, months later, he commits to Clemson. He also called it his dream offer. All right, let's go to the third down in the 7-5, Kyrie Moyston. Six five two twenty in out of Suffolk. It goes back to the theme that started just you know eighteen months ago. We're getting bigger on the line. What have you seen from this guy? Obviously, three star, you know, mid three recruit. But somebody Evan mentioned way back in February that commits. You know. Five check check, later. check his offer list. He's he's not light on the offer list. I know a lot of those offers are coming from schools out west. Um, but you know when you when you get a guy 
that's being recruited by Arizona State, you kind of take a little bit of interest and say, okay, well, they, they see something in him here. Let, let, let's give this a look. And I, really good frame definitely goes along with what Bill has been recruiting since he's became the, the defensive line coach of Virginia Tech. 6'4", 220, so longer uh, type player. Um, be, he was recruited by JC and Bill. Um, they're starting to definitely put their footprint on the type of players that we're recruiting for the defensive line and showing uh, more height, more size in general, but definitely more length. Um, and, and I like this this kid. He plays he plays long and he plays with good leverage. That's awesome. When you talk about his offer list. You're talking about you mentioned Arizona State. Also, two that caught my eye, or three, three that caught my eye, Washington. Always good defensively, Indiana and Michigan State with Mel Tucker. So maybe maybe it's one of those things where it's it was either I'm staying home or I'm going way out west and he chose to stay home, which is a good thing. Now, Brian, the next one to me, as much as I love the Xavier and Xavier's a crown jewel, this guy's a real crown jewel. Rashad Purnell out of Highland Springs, defensive lineman, six foot four, two hundred sixty pounds. Another guy that was mentioned, and something that's been mentioned since we started this thing is opening up the gates to the eight hundred four, and opening up the gates to Highland Springs and the biggie for me and you. We we said it. What happened with Jabari Parker, who had three or four places he could go play and taking a preferred walk on was sort of the kind of a busting of the door. This is big. Yeah, this is big. Um, Getting back in the, the the good graces of Highland Springs, which is probably right there with like the Oscar Smiths of being the best program in the state. Um, Being able to get Rashad Purnell to commit that that's going to be big, not only paying dividends from him as a player, um, but down the road as well for for getting some of these other talented guys um, that come from that program uh, back to Virginia Tech, especially with guys like uh, you know, obviously you know Lauren Johnson being the coach there, um, that that's going to pay dividends for us down the road. But let's just talk about Purnell himself, which I think the reason that some of the other the bigger um, programs didn't push harder, uh, he's kind of a tweener. Uh, think of him kind of in the uh, Norrell Pollard uh, type build there. He's going to probably play a three technique for us. He's taller though, so he's 6'4", 250. By the time he's getting significant snaps, he's probably going to be in that 265, 270 range. So, I mean, I, I like him as a three technique. Probably has the athleticism to slot outside um, if need be, but um, I, I like him as a three technique and, like I said, very much in the in the mold of a Norrell Pollard. Awesome. Yeah, just getting back here with the 804, getting back with Highland, getting back with Lauren, it says a lot. It says that whatever has changed the philosophy of the recruiting staff, it's it, it's to us going in the right direction. Um, and, and you see Rashad. Rashad doesn't seem like he is a quiet kid. He seems very charismatic. Um, and he seems like one of these guys that will lead the way and be talking to other guys saying you need to come. And probably the favorite thing I heard from him was, and you probably read the quote, Brian, 
when Virginia Tech was good, Virginia players went there. Something that yep. White Vic mentioned. And you hear a kid like that, it's you that's the mentality we want. Now, Brian, the next guy, holy moly, out of nowhere, we had to see if it was true or not. So you see something pop up and you're looking all around like, is this real? Is this guy really got an <laughs> offer? Xavier Chaplin from down in Beaufort, South Carolina. Six reported six foot six three seventy. Also reports six five three forty. Either way, he is a big offensive lineman. You looked at his tape just this morning, Brian. What are we getting out of the currently unranked Xavier? Uh, we're getting a guy that is big and can move for his reported height and weight. Um, he has good bend. Um, does a good job of getting off the line. Um, didn't have a whole lot of snaps doing pass pro. Uh, saw one, and it was more of like a sprint out type play. wasn't wasn't like a traditional five or seven step drop. So, not sure how he'll hold up in pass pro. Um, could potentially be a guard or a tackle. You know, I, I there's a lot of potential there for someone that big that's also that athletic. His his athleticism definitely popped off of the tape. Um, more so than probably anything else, being able to see a guy that big with that much bend and that much um, quickness at the snap. Which is scary. Now, there are the reports that Clemson and Georgia and a few other big schools are potentially look at offering him to come camp with them. Um, but apparently, it, and this is what you know people are saying happened, he literally got the offer, committed, and went back to work on the farm. <laughs> so I don't know if glitz and glamour will be the selling point to him. So, yeah, I mean, he, he might like the idea of playing for storied franchises or whatever, but I don't necessarily know if that you know that shiny object on campus is going to be what's going to lure him. Absolutely. So, hey Xavier, if you're listening to this, Virginia Tech has a great agriculture program. Contact us; we'll put you in touch with a guy named Wilkerson, and he'll he'll hook you up and tell you all about it. <laughs> All right, Brian, this, the next nine days to me, we talked about it before. This is make or break Yep, for the class. Friday, Ramon Brown out of Manchester, four-star, top 200 guy, top 15 running back in the country is going to announce his recruitment. Um, Brian, who are you feeling we fighting him for as we get down the stretch here? So there was just a uh, four-star running back committed to Penn State, so I'm pretty sure they're kind of out of the mix. Uh, it looks like the the last two to give us a run is Maryland and potentially South Carolina. I know that's gonna that's gonna hurt the ears of some Hokies out there with uh, with Shane Beamer being the head coach down there. But all things seem to be pointing to him being a Hokie on Friday, so we shall see how that turns out. But I, I, I like I like where we're sitting with Ramon Brown. Razor Ramon. Yeah. Razor Ramon. Say hello to the bad guy. Let's go back when we were kids. All right. <laughs> the other one, and this would be, you always talk about, this would probably be the crown jewel. He's a top 120 player. He's a local guy. He's got offers from all over the place. Gunnar Givens is set to commit on the 16th. I will be back from vacation. You will be still on vacation. 
Yep. Um, and it seems like us and Penn State, right? It's a, it seems like it's a two-man fight. It's, it's a two-man fight, uh, and I, I kind of like the home guys. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I like what we where, where we sit with Gunnar Givens. I think we can get him in, and I'm not even sure if he's going to end up being um, an offensive lineman for us or a defensive lineman for us, but regardless, skill-wise, athleticism, size, um, br- kind of brings all of that to the table, all the things you want um, fr- from a guy that's going to play line for you. Um Played a lot of different, you know, spots for his high school. He's kind of blocked some. He's been tight in. I mean, he plays defensive line. Um, so there's a lot going on with that. But just in terms of, you know, Botetot being hokey land, no doubt. Yes, sir. Um, getting getting Gunner in would be huge. Um, it would definitely help backfill on the offensive line some of the the holes we have. Um, looking forward you know, to next year and the year after that. Um, so I, I really like that get. And it, it never hurts to get a high-rated four-star uh, guy in your boat. Definitely helps the, the perception, which I think is half of our recruiting problems in general is just perception um, kind of shaping how the reality uh, goes forward. Absolutely. And the last two recruiting classes did not help at all with that sort of perception and in in a lot of the stuff that we're going to be playing for you guys in the next little bit here it it talks about perception and things like that so you know definitely you know stay listening we got again stuff from evan dwight vick and christina garnett yeah we're calling this our summer supercut and we're going to lead off here with uh with evan he's going to talk a little bit about the what we just kind of finished up there, some of the uh, guys that we're looking at in the 22 class and how we sit and who we need to get into the boat for this to be a successful class. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think Virginia Tech needs to focus completely in the state of Virginia first. There's a lot of talent in the state of Virginia right now. Um, you know, you can look at guys like obviously there's Gunnar Givens at a Lord Botetot, one of the top tackles in the country. Uh, Virginia Tech is definitely in the mix for him. You know, you got guys like George Petaway, Ramon Brown in the state of Virginia. I think those guys uh, are both at least speaking with Virginia Tech and have some some sort of interest in them. Um, you know, you look at guys like Isaiah Montgomery out of, uh, out of Lansdowne. He's a guy that's a moderately ranked guy, but I think he's a big-time offensive tackle. Uh, you know, really looking at his – his possible projection at the next level. I think he's got a lot of talent. Um, you know, Bryson Jennings, dad played at Virginia Tech, played with J.C. Price. I think you ha- don't want to overlook that connection. He's go. a four-star guy out of Clover Hill. Um, you know, Rashad Purnell, another one of the guys from Highland Springs, Kyrie Moiston, you can get him out of Kings Fork. I think Virginia Tech can actually do really well in the state of Virginia next year. I think Virginia Tech really should take – uh, you know, take the 2021 foundation that they set in the state of Virginia and try to build upon that and, and really try to take advantage of an up year in talent in 2021 and try to rebuild that roster with Virginia guys. Virginia Tech has always been at their best when the roster is, is littered with those guys that are homegrown. So I think they should continue to try and mine this in-state talent. All right, next, guys. The white Vic here is going to be talking about Virginia recruits between now and then. 
you know, as of today, we have five Virginia recruits of the 17 and looking at Ramon Brown and Gunnar Givens potentially coming, we could have seven and probably a few more guys that are being chased as well. But let's see what Dwight thinks about what's changed between the guys back in his day 20 years ago and now. They know more. They're more knowledgeable, and social media has helped with them knowing more about other schools. I got my letter from Notre Dame one time, and I was a big Irish fan, and I had a, a Notre Dame jacket because, you know, I was I loved Tony Rice and the Rocket and Bettis and Betts and all those different guys they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, Todd, like, you know, you just like, man, Notre Dame, you know, and I'm living in Hampton, Virginia. And, I mean, I wore that jacket. You know, I'm walking around Hampton and Newport News looking like a super-sized wasp with a yellow on. And, <laughs> and I remember <laughs> my dad said, you like them, don't you? And he was like, you know where they're located? And I was like, nah, man. But I'm going, you know. And he was like, and I'm in 10th or 11th grade. And he pulls out, for those listening, they're going to laugh at the old school, <laughs> the OGs listening, an encyclopedia. And he <laughs> blows the dust off and he opens it up and he's like, this is a map. You live here in Virginia. Notre Dame is in Indiana. And, you know, you start back then. They do it now. You get those media guys. And um, <laughs> the media guy, you know, you saw how they had a lot of Dwight Vicks. Um, you know, a lot of Dwight Vicks, um, you know, on their roster. And long story short, man, um, these guys now are just more knowledgeable. They're more aware. And I don't think especially with the dip in wins with Virginia Tech, you know, eight wins, six and seven, five and six. Um, it's it's twofolds. In the 90s, we were we were not, we were the best kept secret. The Tidewater area was producing tons of talent. Um, and now you see the benefits between all the great players and the great colleges now that come down there. You know, Virginia guys have been leaving out of state forever. You know, Ron Springs uh, went to Ohio State, or maybe, no, I forgot where Ron Springs is, but he's Sean Springs' dad, but he went out of state. Uh, he went to Lafayette High School. Lawrence Taylor, who went to Lafayette High School from the Tywood area, mm-hmm. went to um, um, UNC, obviously. Yeah. And then you had Dre Bly, who went to UNC and you had Rama Curry, who was the only player to win national Gatorade player of the year in all in football and basketball. And he was a McDonald's all American in basketball. And he won three state championships at Hampton high, one national championship in football and one state championship in basketball. So this notion that, Oh my God, Virginia players always leave that. No, they've been leaving. The difference is, the Virginia that we know compared to what we grew up in is no longer the best kept secret. Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, the big wigs, they stay down there now. Penn State, they live down there. Every now and then they would pluck a player from my area now. And it's not just Tywood. It's Loudoun County. You see a lot of those guys go to Stanford, the West Coast, Northern Virginia kids are going out of state. And the other thing is there's some other layers to it. The state of Virginia has improved dramatically. You look what LJ's doing, Lauren Johnson at Highland Springs, Verona. The the Richmond area was always known for basketball, but that's not the case anymore. The suburbs of Richmond, the Chester, Chesterfields, the surrounding areas have improved dramatically. Northern Virginia, Westfield won the states three years in a row. It used to be the Tywood and Richmond show in football and basketball. That has changed as well. 
all that combines with, unfortunately, Virginia Tech and UVA picked their worst times to fall off. <laughs> yep. Um, they did, especially UVA. Yeah. I mean, UVA has been rebuilding for years. And for years, Tech benefited. You know, Tech benefited for years because, they, you know, you look at that 2005 team, I believe their entire defense starters that were ranked number one in the nation or maybe that was 07, 08, but pretty much most of their starters were from the Commonwealth. In 2005 and 06, 07, 08, Virginia Tech was signing and getting commitments from the, some of the best players in the state. Um, and then when you have the Allen Iversons, the Plexico Burrises, the Ronald Currys, the Tyrod Taylors, and all these guys, Mike Vick, they started to emerge and become household names. All of a sudden, it's a perfect storm. And what makes things bad if you're a Virginia Tech fan is, you know, as the transition took place from Beamer to Fuente, people pick on Fuente that, you know, the cynics and critics, but at the end of the day, the last three or four years of Beamer's tenure weren't the best. You had a lot of six and six seasons. You had that one eight and five season where they got blasted in the Sun Bowl against UCLA. Yep. And it's just not a good look. It's the worst time. Consider this. Uh, during that time frame before Fuente took over, you had a lot of guys that would have kept Tech afloat in that national brand piece if they had chose Tech, but Tech kept finishing second. You had the Devin Forbes and the Ricky Slade Juniors, but you also had Deshaun Hand, Derek Nadi, uh, yep. Jalen Holmes, and all those guys um, pick another school, and Tech was always second. Uh, even your boy uh, that went to Florida State, um, the tall defensive end, I think his name escapes me, um, that went to Florida State. Yeah. yeah. Those Josh, were, and, his, and they've said worst mistake of his life was going down there. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure because they told him he was going to wear number two. And I'm like, yo, ain't nobody wearing Dion's number. <laughs> <laughs> what they say. Come on. <laughs> and Pet Detective Ray ain't coming home. You're not wearing number two. No, sir. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, like, at the end of the day, you know, but. I, I give Florida State and Ohio State and, and Alabama and all the schools credit. You know, Deshaun Hand, I was with him. People don't realize this. His first unofficial visit or visit to any university, he followed my wife and I down with his high school coach to Virginia Tech. I introduced I introduced him to Cam Chancellor and Tyrod Taylor. I interviewed him on Cal Bailey's radio show at the spring game. The same day, Chuck Clark committed. Um... Tim Settle was at my football camp. You know, I used to do football camps. Mm -hmm. So I was doing a lot of high school stuff. Jalen Holmes, there's a picture on the internet with me, him, and Mike. He was at my symposium I did. All those guys I mentioned were at my football camps. The only one we got was Tim Settle. And look what Tim Settle's doing for the Virginia Tech brand. And also look what he's doing for the Washington football team. All right, so now that Dwight Vick has covered kind of the perception of recruits of the program, we're going to let Evan Watkins uh, go into a little bit more about some of the support staff build out that Virginia Tech is looking to do and some of the new recruiting promotions that have happened within the uh, on-field coaching staff. That's why we have seen support staffs grow year in and year out. They're growing exponentially at every school. Uh, you know, even your schools like Old Dominion have them. Even your FCS schools, James Madison, is building out recruiting departments. 
Mm-hmm. Everyone needs recruiting departments. Virginia Tech has a recruiting department. Now they need to beef it up. They need to pour some money into it, take a lot of this pressure off of the 10 assistants and Justin Fuente and, you know, hit the ground, uh, you know, hit, hit the pavement hard, hit the pavement fast and see, uh, you know, kind of see what shakes out when you cast that really wide net. Then you filter it out to your core board of, of recruits you want and let sure. the coaches go out and try to feast. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up TAP because, I mean, that that's what uh, we had talked about the same thing and really kind of reiterated what you said is that, you know, it, it's a guy going to a similar type role with an NFL organization, wants to win a title, and he doesn't have to recruit. I mean, that that's a, that's a big part of what he's been doing day to day in the last, you know, year plus yeah. that now he's not even, it's not even on his plate anymore. So, and l- let me go ahead and piggyback off that. So, you know, with, with Daryl Tapp leaving, we got JC Price now coming in and on top of replacing him as the um, co-defensive line coach, he's also taking on the, uh, the defensive recruiting uh, coordinator position um, with Adam Lechtenberg uh, taking over that as uh, on the offensive side, getting a promotion there. Um, what do you think are some advantages on the recruiting trail with this type of role for these two coaches relative to what the Hokies are trying to do with building that recruiting department up as well. So typically, you know, pre COVID you would have your recruiting coordinators, your, your on the field coaches where one or two would be designated as your recruiting coordinator. And that helps them on the road. You know, it doesn't necessarily help them when they're back in the offices in the war room, building out the, the board and, and doing all of that, that helps them on the road. Uh, you know, coordinating a, a lot of the stuff. But, uh, you know, when you talk about like a recruiting director, recruiting coordinator, essentially right now under COVID rules, they're kind of the same thing because support staff is allowed to contact recruits, uh, you know, over the phone on social media, things like that. Um, and coaches aren't allowed to go out on the road. So there's not really that big of a difference. And to me, not really nothing really is going to change. Uh, you know, Adam Lechtenberg behind the scenes has been a phenomenal hire in my opinion, when it comes to recruiting, he's a guy that's got a lot of contacts and he's a guy that is a tireless worker. I mean, he's, whenever I talk to, uh, you know, some contacts of mine or I talk to high school coaches or I even talk to, you know, some of the contacts I have at the Juco level, they all talk about how Lechtenberg is a guy. He may not win, every recruit but he is not going to be outworked so and i i want to i want to make sure that people understand that that's not me saying he's going to go out and land every person on his board (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's me saying he is going to work as hard as humanly possible to give virginia tech the best chance to land that person now there might be somebody out there that can offer more there might be schools that can offer national championship uh you know possibilities uh road to the nfl things like that that Virginia Tech, you know, may not be able to offer at that position, uh, but he's a tireless, tireless worker. So, we, you know, when when you're back in 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 Blacksburg and they're back in the war room and they're going over the board, nothing really changes for Adam Lechtenberg. This is the role he already had. He was already doing it. He just didn't have the title of it. Okay. The title was kind of a a pat on the back. Thanks for all the recruiting help that you do. Thanks for everything that you've done. Under Justin Fuente, resume builder, here's your title. J.C. Price, kind of the same thing. 
Um, you know, I've, I've met J.C. Price a few times uh, when he would come to Virginia Tech for, uh, for summer camps when, Mar- you know, when they would always invite Marshall to come in and, and mm-hmm. evaluate some kids as well. He was always there. Really, really an energetic guy. My big question when they were replacing Tap was I, I think J.C. Price is a great fit. I think he's, he, I think he's 100% the, the, the right guy to step into that role, but would he want to split duties? I thought that that was going to be a hang-up. You know, not everyone wants to share duties. When you get that job, you know, at the school you went to and you want to kind of be the guy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you want to be the guy. You don't really want to to split that role amongst somebody else. So I think this was a great way for Virginia Tech to entice him and say, hey, you might be the assistant D-line coach, but we want you to oversee all of our defensive recruiting. You know, and unofficially, what I had heard was this was kind of what Justin Hamilton was doing. Um, you know, I don't, he didn't have the title of it, but Justin Hamilton had a, a major say in all of the defensive recruiting. Makes sense. The D coordinator should sign off. What this does is take a little bit off of his plate and allow him to spend a little bit more time uh, on focusing on being the defensive coordinator. So, it, you know, when it comes to, you know, uh, uh, you know, breaking it down to like the brass tacks of it, is there going to be a major return on investment by labeling these two guys recruiting coordinators, offensive and defensive? Not that we will see immediately. What I do think it does is furthers that foundation that I talked about earlier that, you know, I think let's say that the recruiting department does start to split a little bit into JUCO and high school and, and transfer portal and all of that. Now you can take that information and you can filter that into two recruiting coordinators. You can then look at it. Yes, no. And then, you know, kind of send out the hounds to to do the recruiting uh, and oversee it. And then when you think, you know, you go in that war room and you say, hey, we need, uh, you know, X number of wide receivers, X numbers of running backs, things like that. You now will have a little bit more buy in uh, with the 10 assistants. Now, obviously, the, the recruiting staff will heavily be involved there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think we're just looking at the foundation. And I've mentioned this before. I, I tell people all the time, don't get bogged down with titles in college football because most of the time they're meaningless. And, and, and I, I don't want that to like to, to not to belittle any of the coaches or take anything away from them. Sure. But associate head coach, assistant head coach. I, I mean, you have a head coach. If he goes down, you have your number two. OK, like you don't need <laughs> we don't need three guys with this name. We don't need all of these different, you know, ins and outs and nuances of these names that may or may not coordinate with what you actually do as your job, which can then only make it murkier when you go to hire somebody. You know, you go out to hire a director of recruiting, uh, you know, to replace John Yetzi. But when you look at the, the, the actual job duties of maybe what Mike, Mark Diethorn does, that might be more in line with the director of recruiting where then you might be looking at a director of player personnel, the higher, but then you have to do another title switch. It just gets kind of convoluted and it gets kind of uh, confusing. So 
I never try to get bogged down into the titles because I think a lot of those are just resume builders and, uh, you know, reasons to give people additional income, you know, to give them an additional raise or, or a benefit. So I I try not to get bogged down on that stuff, but I do think what we are seeing right now is the early foundation. It might take years, honestly, with COVID and everything and financial uh, issues, but I think we're seeing the foundation being laid for Virginia Tech splitting out their recruiting duties, and I don't think it can hurt. I think it can only help from here. And after a lot of great points there from Evan, talking about the support staff and the recruiting stuff, take a look at the second part. We talk about perception. Christina Garnett gets into the branding of Virginia Tech, and it's a really interesting take here. And she's someone that's offered multiple times reaching out to the program. But obviously, if you kind of take a look what's happened, she recorded us back in April. Things have changed in the last three months. Like maybe they've been listening to some of the stuff she advised. The other thing is that I find that if you look on social and you look at the hashtags and where the hashtags are being used, the hashtags actually have the best response when it's done by the recruits and when it's done by the commitments. So when they're announcing and they're aligning themselves with this, so it it becomes a part of the recruitment story less so than like the current story of the team. If you look at them like like for engagement wise, it, it makes more sense because that's how the recruits are identifying themselves. Yeah. And st- there's so many questions like, oh, you're committing to Virginia Tech. Cool. But what's a hokey? Being able to have a rally cry, a hashtag that associates with this is kind of who I am. And the hard hat mentality feels very much in line of what would be our version of lunch pail? What yeah. would be this version? And so I understand where that comes from. The hard, smart, tough, I don't like just because UVA did the same thing if like the next season and we made fun of it and it was the, it was three words. And I was like, how are those three words that are worse than our three words? Like it's still a gimmick. It's still it's still a hallmark football card. Like it doesn't. And so I think the reason why the lunch pail and Beamer Ball and Terradome matter is that there are actions that back up those words. There are receipts. Yeah. So using hashtags for hard hat, like hard hat mentality and grit and hard smart tough, that doesn't really carry anything until there's something that accompanies it. Like if you say Terradome, you don't hear Terradome. You actually feel <laughs> like what that's like. It's in your mind. Like it comes with weight. Like it carries stuff with it. And that's the point of branding. If the, some of the best brands, it's not the word. It's what the, what comes with the word. It's what weight carries that. Think about, think about movies or your favorite song or your favorite concert or your favorite. Like if you go to, if I say McDonald's right now, you're probably going to think about what you're going to order. What's your go-to order? Or you might smell the fries. But you have something that comes along with the word. It might even just be the jingle. But the word on its own doesn't like it doesn't exist by itself. It carries weight with it. So the thing is, is that for branding, they need to continue these until they are able to create weight with it. 
or they need to <laughs> embrace what they what they let go, which was like when you think of the lunch pail, I think of all the times they carried it. I think of watching them putting like the grass and yep. the soil. Like it's not just lunch pail to me. It's like I think of Beamer Ball. There are specific plays yep. that come into your head. It's not the word. Like that's the thing about branding is people want to put like a word and be like, this sounds fancy. Like that, that's not the point. It no. needs to evoke an emotional response because yeah. that's what carries, that's what creates connection. And now that Christina's talked a little bit about how our branding is perceived by folks being recruited and by fans, let's let uh, Dwight Vick talk a little bit more about the perception that this coaching staff has amongst the fan base, amongst recruits, and how that plays a role in the perception of the program as a whole. Absolutely. Listen, um, even if I wasn't tight with Lauren Johnson, he's the best high school coach in the state of Virginia. Okay? Yep. The they best high school in the country. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, like, this guy, Lauren, you get a couple of Holland Spring guys because here's the funny thing about the perception. Again, two guys I know, uh, Lauren Johnson, uh, his players, uh, Greg Dorch and Kavon Wallace wanted to be Hokies. And look what they did on the collegiate level. Just look. I remember yeah. going when I remember when Kavon got the call from Clemson. He was like, no, nah, I want he wanted to go. I'm, I'm all about that. Trust me. Trust me. I know this for the be and Lauren Johnson and I are tight. He dated my sister. Only football player of my teammate I let date my sister. <laughs> so that's how tight we are. Lauren and I, he's married now to another girl named Kim, and they had a beautiful family, including a son who took offered. Um, yes. But, he first off. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of the day, well, you got to do that. Like, Tech, Tech, you got to get those guys that want to be Hokies that may be the high three stars and get them in the building, and eventually you create momentum and those pipelines you saw in the late 90s and, and early 2000s, those pipelines from Western Branch, from Deep Creek, from Phoebus, from Hampton, from Bethel, you know, from um, Western Branch, you you know, the Highland Springs, the Hopkins brothers, Macho, because they saw their older seniors and juniors going there and they said, wow, they're playing, they're happy, I'm going to go there too. And then the, what happens is you're winning, Tech's already going to kill it when it comes to food, lodging presentation because it's a beautiful campus that sells itself yep. you throw the crowd hokey nation the love they show now you got a formula for success and i think that's that's the relationships right now and i think to to be fair to fuente and his staff the dead period uh covid you know tap who had a plan who i know he did i've talked to tap that's my guy um I think there were going to be some great things done, but the dead period has killed not just tech, but a lot of colleges that need to get guys on campus versus a program like Clemson and Ohio state that can sell itself. Yeah. Um, but I think you get those guys in you, a walk on, you get these guys, or even a commit or a guy like Jordan Williams, you get those guys and playing well and they keep advocating. Cause when they go back to that, when they go yeah. for Thanksgiving and Christmas break, and they go back home, they're going to recruit and sell the program for you because when they're walking around the mall or they're at the basketball court in the weight room, and you're like, oh, that's Jordan Williams. And he's got the tech tank top and shorts on. He's lifting. He's like, yeah. no, that dude's a yeah. That's what happens. Nice to go back home. And I, you know, me and Mike, we would go back home. We'd be at 
the old Coliseum Mall or Newmarket Mall, or you're in the barbershop and you walk in with your Virginia Tech bowl game sweatsuit on, your, your fitted cock to the side, your bowl ring gleaming in your bag. You're like, yo, y'all, y'all, y'all get like that? Yo, what's it? And all of a sudden people are like, man, it, 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 it is euphoric for the fans and the kids who are up next. That's how you create the connection, the dynasty, that that whole I want to be a part of it. It can't just be a coach. It's got to be your perception, your players who are currently there who are like, yo, like look at Oscar Smith, another pipeline, J.C. Coleman. Uh, he was on my on my, my show and he talked about how he would come back. And he got a lot of guys there to come to Tech from Oscar Smith. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, you talked about COVID, and I feel like for a school like Virginia Tech, for a team like Virginia Tech that's really trying to recapture some of that momentum on the recruiting trail, COVID just was like the worst possible time. Uh, because, like yeah. you said, getting kids on campus is 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 part of the battle, and being able to put Taps' plan in place for you know getting back into high schools the way it was done before, you know, all of that was something that could have helped with that perception and with that momentum going into 21. And now, you know, we've got a dead period that's now extended, what, through the end of May. So Yeah. I don't even understand that, man. You know, I don't, that's, yeah. that, that dead period thing is good. I mean, I don't know. That's, it's weird. Um, I do think though, um, if we can hopefully have the spring game, I don't even know if that's going to happen or um, some type of, showcase or something where tech can get in front of some of the kids or vice versa. I think you're going to get some more kids. I, I, I just love the changes they've been doing in the off season. I don't really get hype about a lot of stuff in the off season because you never know. I mean, you never know with attrition, DUIs, ineligibility, academics. You just never know. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's the, that's what makes it beautiful. The unknown, the unexpected. That's also sometimes what makes it painful and, and detrimental because the unknown, we don't know what we can build on, which is why Vegas has so much money. But at the end of the day, I, yes, I, it I, is. Do, <laughs> I do like to hire <laughs> like the people who are in Blacksburg right now. Cause I think, you know, when that dead period ends, they know from what I know and talking to people, Pearson Prelo's on that staff. We played together four years at Tech. That's my brother. Uh, Justin Hamilton's my guy. I, I I know they want to win, and they get it. And they were there. They know what it takes. But they're handcuffed right now to some degree with COVID. It's a it's a it's it's a tough situation. And make no mistake about it. You know, I lost some close people to COVID, and I'm sure you guys know some stories as well, and, and may have lost a few. It is serious. I'm not going to get political. I don't. No, it's a it's real. You can feel like it's whatever hoax. I know it's real, and small businesses and a lot of people have been affected. And I'm just praying that eventually gets contained and we get back to some normalcy. Because for me, just you know, football and sports, especially Virginia Tech, spring game, all that stuff is therapeutic for me and so many other people. And um, hopefully, you know, we can get over this hump and get back to, you know, getting guys in that stadium and and seeing that place rocking again. Yeah, a hundred percent. We got to attend our first spring game the first year of Justin Fuentes um, tenure, and it was great. Me and this guy, we drove up, we drove back down, hit all the spots. I'm going to say a couple things before I jump to my next question. You mentioned Jordan Williams. A lot of people get on Fuente like he doesn't have personality, yada, yada, whatever. 
Jordan Williams said something when he came back. He basically he said Tech was the runner up, but he's like the relationship I forged with Coach Fuente was it, it held a lot to me, and it, it was almost like a way he said. And when I saw the opportunity, you know, Clemson's bringing people in, and I'm seeing less opportunity. I still had the relationship with the head coach. So as you said before, it matters in the perception our head coach is getting. Maybe it's maybe it shouldn't be that way because of those words from Jordan Williams. But you mentioned Tap. Now he's gone to the NFL with my 49ers. Mm. Stop speeding. But man, let me tell you something. They brought in your teammate, somebody you have interviewed on Victory Life, JC Price. Yes, sir. How do you feel about him coming in? And you know, I'm assuming he's gonna probably pick up the reins of a lot of what Daryl was gonna do. JC Price is a man's man. He's your defensive lineman. I can tell you right now, J.C. Price is a guy you want to play for. And, you know, they upgraded because Tap was energetic, knowledgeable, insightful, and was. And you see the 49ers grabbed him, so he knows what he's doing. But to be fair, he actually probably is in that same position and probably more knowledgeable and experienced because he's been coaching longer. Um, he was on the staff, and he led the way when GMU – Gave Tech one of the biggest upsets in college football history. The year Tech won the ACC in 2010, led by Rod and Ryan Williams. So at the end of the day, the guy knows Tech and he can coach. And, you know, recruiting, you don't, you listen, you people say, oh, you know, he was at a mid, you know, made Marshall. Look, you don't make Marshall and JMU relevant by not knowing the landscape of the state and getting players that wanted and some should have gone to Tech. Okay. You got to do your homework when you talk about these guys on Twitter. J.C. Price was was definitely a great hire. Um, when it comes down to it, man, you know, Fuente, you know, we all been critical, man, because it's tough following a legend. And he, you know, the timeout this past year against Liberty, oh, my gosh, I felt for him. I was pissed, but I felt for him. <laughs> you know, I made mistakes yeah. as a coach. I made mistakes as a player. I mean, how many times? You know, has a lineman felt bad when he got caught for holding that negated a winning touchdown? I mean, yep. or a, a field goal. Shane Graham talked about that on my show. He missed a field goal that would have won and beat us in Miami, beat Miami and Miami. We ended up winning in overtime, but he felt awful that whole week. Um, at the end of the day, man, you know, listen, it happens. I, I think the whole personality thing is tough because Fuente, when you he doesn't he doesn't come across well on TV the same way Dabble does. You know, Dabble, you know, to sometimes can be corny, if you ask me. Um, he is, you know, you know, <laughs> but his players love him and they'll, you know, they'll go to bat for him and um, they fight for him and he's able to convince guys that shouldn't come back to come back and pursue a national championship. And 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 that and Fuente has just got to be him. And to be fair, you know, the Beamer you guys saw late in his career when he was turning his hat and dabbing and dancing and dancing in the locker room in UVA, that Beamer didn't exist when I was at Tech. <laughs> I can remember Beamer, they used to, I can remember in my 19 and 20s, and they'd show Frank after a bad call, and he looked like he would kill somebody on the sidelines. Man. The he was so mad. The Beamer that J.C. Coleman and Brandon Flowers and Chris Ellis got was not the Beamer. We were there when he was building, when he was on the hot seat, when he couldn't afford a loss. You got to understand something. That's what I'm saying. Look at Fuente now, and if he stays and keeps winning, he'll be a lot different then. You got to be careful when you compare 
because Beamer doesn't come across as, I mean, this guy is killing the room. You know, <laughs> that's not Beamer. But at the same time, you see him now with his little dog, Frank, Hank, whatever, and he's walking around, he's cracking jokes. And he's always been a funny guy that would roast you on the low. And he's always been, you know, highly respected and just someone you want to be around. And he was all he's always been funny. But, you know, early in his career, which I was there for, um, it wasn't fun in games. You know, after big wins, he might be like, let's go and throw the fist in the air and hug guys or whatever. I remember we beat Miami for the fourth year in a row in the old Orange Bowl when, before it became Pro Player Stadium or whatever it's called now. I don't know. They name them Pizza Hut R.S. I don't know what it's called. But, <laughs> you know, when we beat them back then, I remember being in the locker room and I was elated and I hugged them. And I was just like, Coach, we won. He was like, hey, great win. You know, I was like, okay. You know, like – he was he was he was different. You get older, become a granddad, and Shane's now a man and doing his. You you you're looser. You know, your job secure. You can re, you can let your guard down a bit. You know he wasn't doing the nene and all that, the Millie Wop and all that stuff. Uh, you know <laughs> we were there. So, in fairness to Fuente, um, he's not going to be doing all that right now. He's not going to come on TV and, and crack jokes because. In fairness to him, everything now on Twitter and social media is used against him. Even if he slips up, whether it's a timeout or he missays someone's name or, you know, he's guarded about who he's going to start, you know, it's just going to be everything's, you know, we're on edge because Hokie Nation, if there's a fan base that deserves a national championship and deserves answers and deserves wins, it's Hokie Nation. I mean, you look at, the Red Sox before they got over the hump, the Cubs, the Cavaliers in basketball. But GN Tech has suffered decades of we almost had them, like the dollar and that insurance commercial. We have almost had it so many times. The yeah. Matt Ryan, you know, go back to my years, the Temple game on the goal line. We're ranked 14th. We win that game. We jump in the top eight. You know, um, the loss yeah. against Kansas, you know, in the Orange Bowl when Brandon um, – Brandon Norris set out the first half because of team violation rules. Tech has been on the doorstep for years. And now with the offensive talent and the offensive scheme, whether we want to admit it or not, we made it up in our mind that we're going to be in this national championship, especially when we come out the gate in 2016 and take Clemson to the verge. And if we get down there, Fuente said after the game, he was going to go for two and you got Bucky and Isaiah Ford. You like, man, Clemson is Clemson. And, we won the Coastal in his first year, and yeah. <laughs> we did it to ourselves with the expectations. So now, um, you know, I don't think Jordan Williams is lying. Uh, you know, Ashby, I don't think Ashby's lying. Rashad Ashby, I don't think Pablo's lying. I don't think yeah. Sam Rogers is lying. That's their coach. I think he's just guarded. I think he's just going to, you know, be who he is. And I don't really care if he, you know, didn't speak and just talked in sign language. I just need wins. You got to love Dwight and all his takes. Um, and obviously, one of our coaches just a few days ago got on Twitter and things happened. If you were there, you were there. <laughs> but let's listen to Christina again talking about more how we are perceived on Twitter. And again, it's one of those things that in the last few months, things have changed. You're seeing different. We're not seeing the time tweets anymore. So, again, maybe they've been listening. Let me ask this about Twitter. Yeah. And, and, and if you don't want to answer it, 
you don't have to give me a number grade that you would give the Virginia Tech football Twitter account. Number grade, not letter, number. Number grade. One to a hundred. It's an 80. It's an 80. They're doing okay. I'm glad that they're, um, it's, it's, their Twitter wears a tie. (laughs) It's too, it's, it's too curated. The copy's too clean. The scheduling's too like specific. Even if it's a brand, it needs, well, it needs to feel like there's a fan at the thing. Like, Okay, so I'll go back to McDonald's because I, I know someone on their social media team and I love what they're doing. Some of the best stuff that McDonald's has been doing is they're being incredibly vulnerable and real and talking about customer experience. Like one of the tweets that they did um, that they did that I absolutely loved was it's never how are you doing social media manager? It's always when is McRib coming back? <laughs> <laughs> or it's are you feeling OK? You've barely touched the top of your cup. Because they were like, you poke the the top, like you poke the little bubbles. Okay. Another one was, can I get a, it feels so human. And so you want, you want it to feel human. It needs to feel like the person who's doing the copy and who is typing is seeing the same seeing the same game that you are and is frustrated when you're frustrated and happy when you're happy. And it's just, it's a lot of hashtags and it's a lot of emojis and it just doesn't feel authentic. Okay. And so it needs to feel like. was always the word I was thinking of as well. It it definitely, it's like buttoned up, as you said, where's where's a tie. It's a job. That's what it feels like. It's, it's a job. It's not like, like you say, it's a fan where every day us three as fans of Virginia Tech football, we look at Virginia Tech football. Me and Brian, I mean, key play. We look at Tech sideline. We look at your Twitter account when you're saying something about it. We look at former players. And that's what it, you're right. And, and you just that is just such a great analogy to what our Twitter is. And and, and I'm going to say what I said a couple seconds ago. This is a football Twitter. Football is not a nice, wear your tie, very cordial sport. It's it's pop. Yeah. It's hitting each other. It's blood. It's guts. Let's also compare it to. I know we we had talked about Mike Young earlier, but let's compare Hokies football Twitter account with the Hokies men's basketball Twitter account, mm-hmm. and the type of engagement that they were getting this season and the type of tweets that they were sending out and how those were tracking with the fan base and it's night and day. Mm-hmm. And I know who runs that account and I, I they're younger and they are passionate about the team. Yeah. And it reads, it reads that way. I mean, there's, I, I also love the fact that, I love that there doesn't always have to be, there doesn't always have to be a graphic. Nope. Okay. And you can be playful with emojis. You can be playful with gifts and you can, I, I love that there is, it just feels like I can tell a fan is running the basketball account. It feels like they're watching the game with us. Yep. And I, I'm also a fan of if you can do short copy, always do short. 
it's so much easier. Like it's, it's the shorter it is, the more likely it is to come across as pithy and get to the point. The more copy there is, the more it feels didactic and serious. I'm like, I don't need it to be serious. Like hype me up, like make it, make it feel special. Let me, let me know what you're doing. Um, and then I, I like that they, I like that both of them, that both accounts are starting to share like third party content, but I think there's opportunities to do something really cool. Like, for example, I would love it if they brought back one of like, find an old, find an older, um, an older player alumni who are really good on Twitter, who get it, have them do a takeover for the game. Ooh, okay. Have them run yeah. the account for the day. It'll give, it'll give flavor. It'll feel very different. People who've never turned in before will turn in to say hi. I think, I think there's just so many opportunities to be able to do that. The other thing that I think was a missed opportunity was there weren't a lot of players that were there, there were a lot of people who were able to watch the game last year. And there were a couple people who were able to go and did like a few minute lives. But what I think would have been really, really, really cool is they, cause they asked for money. Like, can you, we'll, we'll, we'll take your money and you just like forgive your seat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What if you did a private, like, what if you did a video, you linked it, and you have a camera from one specific seat. It could be at the 50-yard line. And you just have someone recording live, and you get access to that to that feed. So you yep. get to watch the game from that seat for the whole game instead of watching it on TV. You get to actually – it's as close as you're going to get to feeling like you're in the stadium. And you pay extra for it, whatever you wanted to put for it. But you can call it like the 50-yard yard seat. Yep. And someone will be there, and they'll move the camera as the plays are happening. But you'll get to be as close as you can to being at Lane during all of that. I feel like that was a missed opportunity. I love the metaphor about our Twitter wearing a tie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite metaphors from that episode. But let's pivot a little bit to how kind of COVID impacted some of the off-the-field stuff and some of the on-the-field stuff uh, from the 2020 season. So, uh Evan Watkins broke that down uh, in our discussion with him back in February. So we'll let him take off on that again here. Like I mentioned earlier, if you're outside that top 400 guys going into the state of, or going into your senior year with as many kids didn't get to play their senior, senior year with zero summer camps, I I take a lot of that and throw it out the window. You know, if you're a five-star, you're a five-star. We all can see it. But if you're a, if you're a mid three-star and a high three-star, What's the difference? If you're a low four star, if you know you're a an eighty seven and a ninety, you know the difference between a three star and a four star. There's really not that much difference when you when you add in the fact that there was no camps, no spring workouts, and possibly no fall. So, uh, you know, I think Virginia Tech signed some good football players in this class. The rankings won't necessarily reflect it as well as I think it should. Um, but I do think they did well adapting um, in, in this environment that was almost unable to be planned for. Let's let's go ahead and piggyback straight off of that, because I feel like, you know, you hit hit hard on like, you know, not having the a lot of senior tape for these guys, um, not having really any of the camps. What guys in this class 
do you think had the biggest potential for that kind of off-season bump or that senior season bump if we were operating business as usual? You know, I think in uh, in state, you know, I look at a guy like a, like a Jalen Stroman. I think Jalen Stroman's a very good football player, and I think he was really coming into his own as a junior. Obviously, he has some advantages being Greg's little brother and and some of the guys he works out with and, and trains with. He's got really good size, range, and speed. I think he probably would have been in line for one. Jalen Jones, another 1,000-yard receiver in out of Richmond, now didn't play the best competition in the world. Um, but if you can put together back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving years, that's hard to deny. You know, guys like that. Uh, I think Kelly Lawson probably had the most upside. Um, yeah. If Kelly Lawson could camp and had a senior year before signing day, I would not be shocked if he was a four-star by some rankings. I mean, okay. you look at what he's done. You look at his – first, you look at his body, and you think, like, you know, he can play anything. Is he the next Tremaine? Is he the next Amari Barno? You know, we don't really know right now. Uh, but you look at what he does in his workouts. You look at – and, you know, I think he was clocked uh, – what was he clocked at? 20 – was he clocked at 26 on, on one, of the, one of his training videos? It was, it was unreal how fast he was moving on one of the, the treadmills that clocks. It wow. was, it was, it was it, it, almost the equivalent of a Caleb Farley. And this guy's got a much different type of body. So, <laughs> you know, I think he's a guy that would have probably uh, gone up a little bit in the rankings. You know, a guy like DJ Harvey. I think DJ Harvey probably would have played his way up if California was playing football in the, in the fall. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, one guy I think that was held down, and I don't really know why, because he was super productive. Um, but I think Kenji Christian is somebody that also was kind of a victim uh, of, of rankings where I feel like he's probably a four-star talent. I think he's a really good running back. I think he maybe was overlooked a little bit because you're coming from the state of Alabama and you don't have an Auburn offer and you don't have an Alabama offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, LSU – LSU was maybe within hours of offering him before their restrictions hit. Um, you know, this is a guy that he's got, he's an SEC player. And, uh, you know, he, he luckily uh, for Virginia Tech, he, he didn't get, you know, those three SEC offers that would have been a game changer for him. And, and now he's, uh, he's headed to Blacksburg. I think he's a guy that a lot of people kind of overlook. Um, you know, I think Christian Moss is an interesting one. You know, everybody talked about Trey Curry. You remember Trey Curry was committed to Virginia Tech for a little while, four-star. Trey Curry actually transferred to North Cobb for his senior year. They played together, him and Christian Moss. Christian Moss is a better wide receiver. Christian Moss was was the top guy at North Cobb. And and he's a a mid-three-star guy. He's got great size. He's got really good range. uh, And and he's just a guy that fell through the COVID cracks. So – you know, I think when you look at it and you go through each of these players, you know, every year I try to look at, at the commits and I think who is who's a reach? Who's a guy that I can look at right now and say, I don't think they're going to play at Virginia Tech. And when you look down their list right now, there's not a lot of those guys. There are some guys oh, that you say, there's some guys you say, oh, it might take, it might take a year or two, maybe three, maybe, you know, maybe they won't play until they're upperclassmen. But there's not a whole lot you look at and you say, I, I don't see it. I don't know what they're seeing in this guy. I don't see it at all. 
So, you know, I think when you look at it that way, I think the Hokies, you know, I think they did, they did as well as I think that they probably could under the circumstances uh, of everything going around them, COVID uh, and potentially the hot seat of Justin Fuente. And, you know, as much as COVID did affect, it affected the fan base as well. Obviously, it affected the Hokie Club. And Christina Garnett goes into, it seemed like the only times we were getting things from Hokie Club was, you know, right after, right after a game, whether that be win or lose. So she sort of gives in what she envisions and hope Hokie Club can become. And, again, it's great takes from her. It's the thing is though is that like, and this is gonna sound really bad for any marketers, but they'll agree with me. Get in the head of your customer, and really think about the customer experience. Like you don't need a marketing class; you need to be able to think like the person you want to target. Really swim in that. Like you said, where are you going to be the most hyped, the most pro hokies? The most loose with your wallet. Just before the start of a game. Just before the start of the game. I'm excited for the, even if I'm sitting at home, I'm excited for what I'm about to watch. I'm engaged with the program. As optimistic as I'm going to be is just before that kickoff. Yep. Regardless of what happens, win or lose, the most optimistic I'm probably going to be about this game is just before kickoff. Yep. That's where I'm going to feel the best about the program. What I would love to do is you could even do it as like, I know that nonprofits can do this. I don't know if they'd be able to do it, but having like a text campaign, like text hashtag Hokies to five, four, three, two, one, and you get 20, you send $25. That easy. And I mean, as we're moving forward, this whole thing with donations, we're going to need a lot more money coming in, especially relative to the, what people in the ACC are doing, because we're already, falling behind on that front, especially on the individual donation side of things um, in terms of what we are putting funding wise into the program. We're about middle of the pack in terms of total money. And we're towards like the back third in terms of donations. We got to figure out something to get, get those in here. And it, and I know winning helps, but in lieu of that, we're going to need to figure out another way to get more folks engaged in the program, both with, um, you know, putting asses in seats at game, but also, you know, putting money into the, into Hokie club. Well, here's the thing. Hokie club. When you think about Hokie club, what do you, what is like your first thought? Drive for 25. But you know what it should feel like? The Hokie club should be ran like an ambassador program not like an entry level donation point. That's what that's what the Hokie Club is. It's it's here is your entry to becoming a donor to Virginia Tech football. And that's not what it should be. It should be an ambassador program where everyone that gets to be a part of that is given tools that they can share their fanhood. Here's the latest here's the latest graphic we're going to give you that you can share on social before anyone else. Here's a special banner that you can put for your Twitter and Facebook. Here's, here's a keepsake that you can have. Here's, here's, um, here's a free ticket to bring someone who's never been to a hokey game. Like it just, it, it, sh- it shouldn't feel like now it feels like it feels like hokey club is the token answer for do I, do you support Virginia tech football with your money? And people say, yes, I'm a hokey club member. That's okay. it. It shouldn't feel like it's tied to money. 
Hokey Club should never feel like it's tied to money. It should feel like that's your entry into becoming the person who gets to be on the field, the person who gets to help, the person who gets to weave themselves into the history of Virginia Tech. It should feel like that is how you enter the community. It should feel emotional. It shouldn't be tied to money. It should be tied to emotion. Like what I would love to see, honestly, as soon as things are open and as soon as it's safe for us all to congregate, I would love for there to be a field day at Lane. That would be cool. Yep, that'd be really cool. Just be in that stadium again. You can have players. You can have past players. You can have the staff. But it literally is like the whole point. The whole point is you go and you get to stand on the field and you get to meet some of your favorite players. And you get to hang out and hug your friends that you would normally you you haven't seen in months, but used to tailgate with all the time. Just do like a fifty dollar a ticket field day and you get to go and you get to hang out and you get to hug your hokey friends. And what I like about what she said there is that we're starting to see a little bit more of that come into play. Um, as some of you know, you know, we've been. Um, pushing some of the Hokie Club ambassador uh, elements into um, our sign-off here, where we're encouraging you to, uh, you know, join the Hokie Club. Let's reach for excellence and, and achieve those goals. At the same time, let's get another take here from Evan Watkins on another issue that's going to, I think, rear its head here very soon, and we're already starting to see some of it. But it's the scholarship issue that resulted from the uh, essentially 2020 being a free year for everyone. Um, so he, he breaks down not just that what we're looking at starting this year, but that going into next year is going to be really when um, this issue starts to be a problem because of those numbers and because of having to get back to 85. Yeah. You know, and here I could throw, I'll throw a couple numbers out at you because it's 24 seven sports ran a really good article on this recently that FBS college football teams signed more than 400 fewer recruits to scholarships in 2021 than they did for 2020 and 2019. Holy cow. So that, that is fairly eye opening, I would say. Now, 2022 might be worse. And that's, you know, that's where things can start to get a little scary. But we'll start we'll start with 2021. So when you're in 2021, when you're you know, when you're trying to to recruit 2021 and COVID hits. You are if you were not one of the top, we'll we'll estimate we'll round to 400. If you are not one of the top 400 players in this in the country. Your rankings may not matter kind of at all, to be honest, because the big ranking periods for you outside that top 400 would be junior film eval, spring workouts, summer camps, senior season. Now you look at players in the state of Virginia. They had, they had, they had their junior season. They had no spring football, no spring workouts at all. You have no summer camps at all. You have no senior season before signing day. Three out of the four ranking opportunities you had are gone. Now, that also means 
three out of the four major scholarship opportunities you had are now gone as well. So you you not only you not only could be somebody that falls through the cracks, you are also somebody that even if a school takes a chance on you, that school is taking a major risk by offering you a scholarship if you haven't played football in a year. They haven't seen you. They yeah. haven't seen you on campus to see are you really 6'4 or are you 6'1? Are you really 220 pounds? Are you really 180 pounds? You know, they can't get you out of camp to say you say you ran a 4'4 four, four and we clocked you at a 4'9. So you're taking a major risk by offering those scholarships. Now, on top of that, what you have to balance out, and a lot of college coaches did balance this out, is do we take that risk on a borderline recruit? We're not talking the five-star. We're talking the, the mid-three-star guy that may or may not pan out. Or do we hit the transfer portal? Because the transfer portal has you know a lot of talent in it of guys who have verified heights and weights, have verified game, uh, game film for most of them, or at least college practice film. And these are guys that won't tie up a scholarship for five years if they don't pan out. These are guys that you could tie up a scholarship for one, two, three years. And then when all of this maybe starts to normalize, then you go back and you recruit backfill that position. You back recruit that number. Uh, so, you know, when you when you look at it throughout that way, if you are not a top of the board guy for most schools. You run the risk or ran the risk of not having an opportunity to play at the level you wanted to play at. You may have to drop down a level. Uh, or you may maybe didn't get a chance to to sign with anybody yet, because even when you think of dropping down a level, some of those schools, you know, Texas State is a is a great example. I know they're not regional to us, but they're a great example that they looked at this year and said, you know, they they kind of just said, screw it, you know, zero. We can't. They took no we, took, we took zero. They took zero high school kids and only recruited the transfer portal. But you know what that does also for them that that some people may not even think of when they hear that. They think that's ridiculous. But what they did is they just postponed a year because yeah. you know what we're looking at now. You know, looking at that with 2021, COVID aside, you know, let's say COVID ends today and. Life goes back to normal and the dead period ends and everything cool. Everything's good. The NCAA extended scholarship limits for the 2021 season for players to hold over. You know, seniors can get a chance to play again, down to freshmen, getting their freshman year back. Okay, that's great. So we extend that out. You know, theoretically, you could have 25 senior scholarship seniors. Most people don't. You theoretically could. Yeah. What that gives you 110 scholarships theoretically for 20 for this year. But after this year, you have to be at 85 scholarships starting next year. How do you get there? You know, I talked to I talked to one of our I talked to one of our guys in the industry today, you know, one of our national guys with 24/7 Sports and he I told him I said, "You know, I think it's crazy." Uh, the NCAA needs to do something. You know, in my opinion, they need to extend it. Not as far, but extend it a little bit. 
Um, and I was like, Virginia Tech, for example, you know, I ran an article two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Virginia Tech has roughly eight scholarships open right now for 2022. Now, that will obviously expand. We all know that. That eight is going to grow 15, 17, maybe even up to 20 with attrition and transfer portal and things like that. But just for today, about eight. And he said, there are teams out there right now that are negative. There are teams out there right now that have to lose players on scholarship today to sign anyone in 2022. So, you know, when we look at this and we say, oh, they signed 400 less people this year in 2021 due to COVID. And that's terrible. I could see it exponentially larger in 2022. Because okay. college college programs don't have the space. Yeah. So what, one of two things will have to happen. You are going to have to see massive attrition. And nobody likes to talk about attrition. Attrition mm-hmm. isn't always bad. Players entering the portal is not always bad. I think, you know, Virginia Tech fans uh, in, in particular, especially what has happened over the last few years and some of the guys leaving, think people leaving the transfer, transfer portal is a major problem. But you have to look at it multiple ways. Some people leave the transfer portal because they're unhappy. Some people leave the transfer portal because they want more playing time or a better opportunity. Some people leave the transfer portal or leave leave by the transfer portal uh, just simply because of academics or an off the field issue. Uh, Some people will leave to be closer to home. Some people decide nobody really wants to talk about are asked to leave. The, that the, people act like that doesn't happen. That happens. People are asked to leave. Your scholarship may not be retained. If it is retained, you may not see the field. You may not play. It may be worth it for you to find an opportunity elsewhere. Um, and you know, a lot of uh, that that happens everywhere. Now you're going to add in on top of that moving forward, the scholarship number crunch that every school is dealing with. Uh, we have to free up space somehow. Yeah, you're going to deal with. Uh, the money of it, you know, I heard, uh, you know, every, uh, what is it? Every 10 scholarships, every 10 scholarships is roughly a million dollars. So, you know, if you're carrying over a lot of scholarships, you're carrying over a lot of money. So some schools are saying, Hey, we know the NCAA said you can carry over and go over 85 this year, but we can't afford it. So we're not doing it. So, you know, some of those players may have to find other homes and then we're going to add the, the, the colossal mess that I foresee coming of players entering the transfer portal because we were a 2021 signee. We never saw the coaches face-to-face. We never stepped foot on campus before we signed, and we hate it here. We're in a bad mm-hmm. situation. We're going to see that become very apparent, and I think it will be very apparent very quickly. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of freshmen all over the country start to enter the portal after getting on campus and being there for a few months and realizing, you know, maybe what I was sold in recruiting isn't reality. Um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I thought I was coming into this, uh, you know, great opportunity. Uh, you know, I thought maybe I was going to be a guy that had a shot at early playing time to find out that I'm fourth team on the depth chart when I get here. Maybe I'm a guy who never realized how small this campus is or how big this campus is or how far away from home it is 
you know, what do I do? They, you know, and I have to live on campus for a year and they tell me I can't have a car and how do I, you know, how do I do it? Typical college, you know, things that you have to learn and adjust when you get there. Um, and I think we're going to see that fairly quickly because un- unjustly the NCAA kind of forced the hand of recruits to sign sight unseen for the majority of them. And I think a lot of colleges took advantage of that and said, Hey, if you don't sign with us or you don't commit to us now, you're not going to have a spot. You know, mm-hmm. nobody else, other schools may not take you lock in your spot now. Uh, and they may not be in love with the choice that they made. All right. Lastly, folks got to end with a lot of fun and discussing the rivalries that we have with not only Virginia, Miami, but also West Virginia, which is obviously big this year because it's going to be the first time we've played in Morgantown in close to 20 years. The white getting into this, you just heard the passion. And knowing the importance, and as much as people want to knock, Miami's always going to be a national brand, like he says. We do need UVA to be better. And it's my opinion. If they get a little better, it's going to help out everything. But here's the white's take on that from back in March. Let me ask this, and and I want to kind of phrase this the right way because and when we were coming up, Miami and UVA, the rivalry games, when those games were played, it was a big deal. It was. Mm-hmm. I mean, from when, when you got there in 94 to roughly probably 06, 07, those games were wars. And me and Brian have been talking, like, do you feel that whether Miami or UVA or maybe a semblance of both, like, if those rivalry games get back to where they were – 20 years ago where he, like you mentioned the Miami game when it's a night game, both teams are in the top 10 or the Commonwealth cup game when, you know, like 95, when that happened, when, you know, both teams have 10 wins and both teams are trying to get to the sugar bowl and both teams ranked in the top 15. What do you think is more important that helps elevate Peck's program? Is it both or do you have a uh, preference? Well, let me just add this real quick. Um, you, you you forgot to mention West Virginia because West Virginia yeah. was also relevant. That and you can make an argument. That was mad. You can make the argument that West Virginia Virginia Tech rivalry during the nineties and the early two thousands before Tech jumped to the ACC in 04 were probably better games and more important than the Virginia Tech UVA rivalry. Um, but during my era, to your point, <clears throat> the UVA Virginia Tech rivalry was epic. And the Miami robbery with Tech for years was epic. It was it was bloodshed. It was you know Braveheart near the end of the movie. Um, it was real. Um, in order, it's my preference. I would like. Oh, this is gonna make some people mad. Um, I like it when Tech and UVA are both good because I I grew up in that, and it's good for the it's yeah. great for the Commonwealth. People look at me funny on Twitter sure. when I celebrate UVA. Not that they are celebrating wins, but I'm like, hey, that's a good win. That's good for us. I mean, it's it, it's just better. Um, I you know, Jonathan McLaughlin was like, hey, everybody, post your Commonwealth, you know, drinking out the cup. And I said, oh, I lost my last two years to UVA, and he couldn't even fathom that. And I said, hey, man, they were really good. Y'all beat some UVA teams that couldn't beat Centerville High School on the road. Okay, <laughs> so you know, calm down with. Soaking me, you know, because <laughs> my UVA battles, we were going against, you know, Dingo and Patrick Kearney and Wally Rayner 
and the Farrier brothers and, you know, some studs, Aaron Brooks, you know, UVA was ranked 15th. We ranked 18th or vice versa. It wasn't what you see now. Um, so if you have both programs, Beamer said it best and George Wells co-signed it, there's enough talent in the state for both teams to get it and win, but both teams are not getting it, especially, to be fair, UVA. You know, UVA is the one that's fallen short the last 16, 17 years, not Tech. Um, and Grove, mm -hmm. and I know Tech fans are going to smirk when I say this, I think Grove got too out-of-state happy during his day. He got coached the year, then he just kept going up to New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania because he was a New York Jet coach. He didn't really look highly upon Virginia talent. Mm -hmm. And I think that came back to bite him because Tech was full of Commonwealth guys. Yep. So I think you got to get guys in state. I think Miami and Tech will always have that rivalry because of what we did during my era. And it's funny, too, because Miami has a lot of coaching carousel within their program, and nobody lives off mystique and manufacture hype and history lessons more than the Hurricanes of Miami. Um, between Michael Irvin and Warren Sapp, we get more history lessons about the U, but less – productivity on the field so it doesn't match up it's more so let me look at this 30 for 30 so i can get what you're talking about because you guys are the king of underachieving um you know so the reality is is that miami is constantly going to be a rivalry with tech because they're two big east foes and they gave you great i mean if you if you still have the espn classic channel to this day, I get, hey, you're on. Or even ESPNU, they always show tons of Tech UV, I mean, Miami rivalry games from the 90s. Yeah, the yeah they do. Yeah. Um, AC Network was showing those 90s games back like in the summer last year. Yeah. And obviously, there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the UVA one, you need UVA to get better or like to push Tech. But at the same time, it's a fine line. You don't want them to become better because then it can hurt you. So it's kind of like how UVA helped us get into the ACC. You know, you kind of want both programs there. So I'm a I'm a Virginian. You know, I, I, I love the Richmond area. I love Southwest Virginia. I love Northern Virginia. And I love, obviously, my home, 757. And I like, you know, I mean, look. You guys follow, we follow each other on Twitter. At the end of the day, look how great the UVA Virginia Tech basketball rivalry is right now and how, how it's been the last five years with Buzz and, and Bennett and now Young and Bennett who love and respect each other. And look what they're doing for both programs. And, and it's great basketball. And damn right, it looks good seeing UVA and Tech at the top of the ACC. I yeah. like that. I want what Carolina and Duke have. I'm tired of it. I, why, why can't we have that for the Coastal? You know, I mean, why, why? You can't be afraid of competition. You know, I mean, it's cool to brag about the streak and look at the little memes and Mike London crying with the Jordan face. And I oh, yeah, okay, yeah, it's <laughs> funny. But you really, you really, are you really bragging, you know, when you have a midfield, altercation between two five and six teams and Michael Brewer has a lead to come back to Bucky Hodges. I was in the stadium. It was a great win. But then I left after the, you know, the smoke clears and you're happy you beat your rival for the whatever tank time. You're six and six. Yep. And you're five and seven. So what are you really happy about? It's embarrassing. 
It's not something you should brag about because everyone outside of Virginia doesn't give a damn. You know, and that's what people need to remind themselves of. You want to be part of something bigger than just the conference game. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 and I'm not. I don't have Alabama, Clemson, or Alabama, Auburn fatigue. I just, I have, I have fatigue when it comes to being irrelevant. Like you know, when you wake up after a great win on Sunday morning, and you're eating your breakfast, and you you getting your fantasy lineups ready, and you're like, okay, okay. Let me turn into these highlights. What they gonna say about this Tech UVA game on college? You know, game night. They just show the score. Yeah, yeah nobody, nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, nobody cares. They played the game. Here's the final score. Yeah, they were like, oh, and and another news: uh, Virginia Tech holds on and beat UVA. They'll go to the bowl game that comes on Comcast on December nineteenth at five. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what happens. You know, I don't, and I'm not mocking my program. I just think sometimes we need a reality check of what we once have and what we need to get back to and, and, and beyond. And, um, you know, to answer your question again, I just think if it's my choice, it's Virginia Tech, UVA. Although, um, say what you want, but when you consistently beat Miami like we've done and we've done it before, the brand of Miami is still relevant. When you beat Miami, it still turns heads. Yep. You know, yep. like we did last, uh, was it last year? Oh, yeah, when we, after that Duke debacle, and Hendon came yeah. on my Miami game, and they beat him. You know, or that year when Ja'Cory Harris and Kirk Herbstreit declared the U is back, and Tyrod and Jared Boykins beat him thirty-one to seven. You know, in the rain game, SmackDown in the rain and lane. Mm-hmm. I remember that game fondly. But to your yeah. point, and Brian's got a question, but I'm gonna make it to your point though. The Miami game, we had just gotten curb stomped by Duke. That was still the 3.30 ABC game that year. We were, mm-hmm. we were two and two, just lost by 40 to a bad Duke team. But that game was mm-hmm. a national game. And I think you're right, and I'm with you. You want UVA Tech to be good. Brian, I think you agree, right? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think when UVA is good, we, the programs push each other. Um, I, yes. think that, I think that's what kind of came out when – when you were building the program at Virginia Tech in the 90s, and I feel like that is kind of what helped propel Virginia Tech to what it became and what it was throughout the 2000s. And I feel like UVA being down and then some of the other things that have changed on the national recruiting front, you know, we just, we're not where we were. And I feel like getting some of that back, getting some of that competing for the same, you know, top 10 players in the state every year, getting that back would be good. You know what I sold Mike Vick on coming to Tech? I said, imagine if you go to Tech and Ronald Corey goes to UVA and the rivalry you guys had in high school continues. Oh, and he loved, loved, he loved that notion. <laughs> of course, we all know Ronald went to UNC because of their basketball and football program. Yep. Later, Mike yep. Mack Brown and Dean Smith left. But you know what? Also, to your point, UVA ultimately, indirectly because of their inconsistency with Grove in London and the streak and them started losing to Duke, you know, when Duke was still inferior before, you know, they really got, you know, pretty good program. It resulted in Virginia Tech becoming complacent because you your in-state robbery is almost a guaranteed win and you're still losing recruits, but you're losing to Ohio State, and you, but you're getting pretty much you're still getting David Wilson, Logan Thomas, and Tyrod Taylor, so you're okay. And then, you know, it didn't really push you. It didn't 
Because, again, Beamer had to get guys like myself and Ken Oxendon and Tony Morris and, and, and all those guys to come in because UVA had George Welsh. And it wasn't like UVA was winning 11 games. They only had one 10-win season in the history of their program. But at the end of the day, they were winning in the ACC, and they held it over Virginia Tech's head because the Big East was always looked upon as a very good conference, but it wasn't the ACC with their tradition and their pageantry. So they had to leg up. So Virginia Tech had to wait twice as hard to become relevant and be respected. That is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast, and I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website at BoundaryCornerVT.com to listen to all our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, or your favorite podcast source, Spotify, Amazon, Apple. Brian's made sure they are everywhere. If you're looking to join the Hokie Club and help achieve the Reach for Excellence goal, please put visit BoundaryCornerVT.com forward slash giving to get started. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Okie. Okay.